Hello, my name is Maxime, and I like people. The title of this podcast series, sometimes known as a podcast, is I Like People. The title of this podcast episode, which is also known as a podcast, is Resist Technocracy. Today is Wednesday, July 21st, and you could soon, if you don't stop this information from coming to you, be hearing my interview with Thadju as we discuss the viability of the seven questions to save humanity, the seven questions to save humanity themselves, and review music by Todd Tartier.
you say something, please? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, great. Um, By the way, before we begin, I have a question or a request, actually, mm-hmm. because I have a very rare first name. I'll actually how it's spelled. Yes. So when you upload the um, interview, can you like remove the last letter? Otherwise, it will pop up immediately if someone Google's my first name. You know. Sure. You want to go by Tadzio. Yeah, rather actually. Okay. You can call me Tadzio in the during the interview. That's okay. But all the text information should be with the O. Can we include <laughs> this as part of the podcast? Because it's interesting. Sure. Why not? That's okay. Okay. Well then, uh, Thadjo, where yes. does your name and sense of identity come from? The name comes from, I think, originally Aramis, actually. It's the main character in a book that's called uh, Dead in Venice, that I actually never read myself, but my parents chose my name from that book, apparently. Uh, and I think this version, like how you how you say it, that you has like it's like the Polish version of the original. Well, at least that's what I have understood about my own name. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I'm 29 years old. I'm a male, obviously. Uh, I live in the Netherlands and Amsterdam. I'm 50% Dutch, 50% Tunisian. My mother is Dutch. Uh, she passed away many years ago, but she is Dutch, and my dad is originally from Tunisia, which is a small. A small country in northern Africa that I visit many times in the summer holidays. Unfortunately, I haven't been there for a while. Hopefully, I will be able to visit it again soon. <laughs> but that's very questionable nowadays. I see. Um, and yeah, what can I say about myself more? Uh, obviously, I, as you know, I like football. That's one of my hobbies. I have a passion for my club, Ajax. Furthermore, I'm interested in, uh, let's call it world affairs, maybe. Holland. Yeah, and of course, of course, Holland also in the natural <laughs> football. Uh, what team. do you say for Ajax? Is there a chant? Uh, there are many chants. <laughs> but one of them goes like uh, Ajax Amsterdam. Ajax Amsterdam. Great. Ajax Amsterdam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, and yeah, what I said, I also, I'm, I was always interested in world affairs and media like you, actually. Mm. And then, of course, what we specifically call media fakery, I guess. Mm. And how would you say your Dutch, I guess, Dutch and Tunisian roots um, relate to you as an individual now, if they do? It's a pretty broad question. Well, yeah, it I... I, I want to try to get to the root at how people feel about themselves and how they relate to others in the world. I mean, like, I always felt Dutch in, in the first place. But, you know, when I was about 15 years old, I think, something like that, or maybe even younger, uh, no, I became more aware of that I also have a Tunisian identity, okay? Even though I knew this, of course, but <laughs> I wasn't really busy with that at all. That sounds positive because I think in America you'd hear more about your identity from others and it might not be nice because you would appear in a certain way, you know, and so people will try to categorize you, make you feel bad that you are different, um, even if you're just as different as everyone else around you. 
And mm-hmm. I think that an accent or uh, or a Tunisian appearance would make you kind of an outsider on in some circles. And, yes. And people gang up in America in their the, the kind of like this culture of segregation. But it sounds like you didn't really have that experience in Europe. And no, because I, I think that's I didn't really experience that for a number of reasons. First of all, I'm half Dutch, okay? So I'm half white. I think this like prevented something that I saw with friends of mine that were folly, uh, for example, Moroccan, okay? They had more issues than me, I think, because, because of my, you know, when one of your parents, at least one of your parents has the same culture and nationality as the country you grow up into, it gives you a lot of advantages. I only realized that much later, okay? So also by looks, now I look maybe quite Tunisian because I have a bird and all that, but this wasn't always the case. So people could tell maybe that I wasn't fully Dutch, but they were they always had difficulties with guessing my my origins, you know? So <laughs> I knew it always, but I became more, more aware of it in real life, you know? Hmm. How has that awareness made you feel? Is it a positive, negative mixture? Yeah, it is positive. For me, it's positive because uh, I'm kind of proud that I know two different cultures. I had the privilege to go to Tunisia pretty much every summer vacation. So then you see a completely different world if you compare it to uh, the Netherlands it's so different to life and everything there in Africa, you know, or in Northern Africa. My, I mean, most of my family are, are not poor or something, but they have so, so much fewer things. And wait, is that a double much fewer? Much fewer is actually, I think, proper English, but I don't know. I, I'm always mixing that up myself. They have so much fewer things. They have much more, I wouldn't say basic, but less materialistic. Mm. Which also brings uh, many advantages because, you know, you, you learn to not depend too much on toys or, mm-hmm. you know, when I was a kid and I came there and sometimes I brought my toys with me and my cousins and my nieces and all that, they didn't have those things. So they were always like, whoa, what is this thing? And they were so happy when I came with, with those expensive things. And I was like, wait, this is supposed to be a normal thing, you know? So... I learned that their lives were so different than mine throughout the years. Wow. That sounds like a culture I'm attracted to. Really? (laughs) Yes. I have been trying to get rid of things. And I remember when I got rid of a bunch of toys, such as various handheld game devices and um, just odd little things that kind of trickle into a a life of privilege and, and pop culture. Yes. Oh, yeah, man. When I brought my handheld devices there, they were also so crazy to play with those things, you know, because they didn't have such uh, things. They don't have the the money to buy them. But I always enjoyed my holidays there. I never felt bored or something with playing outside without any uh, materialistic things like toys. I always had a very great uh, summer there. It was amazing, actually. Wow. I kind of want to talk about this the entire time, but <laughs> you can uh, you, if you want to know something you can ask me you know it's no problem 
I used to play a game with my friend outdoors in Dakota country here in Turtle Island. Yeah, I mean, most people will call it the United States, but it's on the continent of Turtle Island. And Dakota country would be here, Minnesota, by its colonist name. Anyway, me and my friend Dom would run around uh, playing with the ice. So we would find sticks and we would smash the ice or we would climb up things that are icy uh, slide around on ice and snow and we just play with uh, the water that froze and had become kind of yeah. like a play thing what kind of things that that are natural could you play with in Tunisia climb trees and such yeah yeah for example or just or just outside playing football on the street or sometimes board games maybe they had those kind of things or we're just running after each other you know <laughs> exactly running just uh, running around I, yeah exactly but it wasn't like that at home in holland i always played inside with my video computer games you know but i did have them hmm. but my parents always pushed me and my brother to go outside and we liked that too i i also played outside a lot in holland uh, with the kids in the neighborhood, you know. Uh, but we did have, after a long way of complaining my way to get it, we did have some uh, computer uh, games, you know, mm. like a Game Boy Advance or Nintendo GameCube, those kind of things. How do you think those things... Gosh, I keep wanting to ask you so many questions outside of the the main questions, but how, how do you think those games... Um, did they have any emotional impact? Just fun, or do you, are do some of them stick with you today, such as the stories and characters? Uh, you specifically video games, or also cartoons and stuff like that? Yeah, all of that. Well, one of the advantages of having that is that, uh, I mean, I learned English in a playful manner, and that was just by watching those cartoons or playing those video games because they were all in English, you know? Okay. Yeah. I, I'm thankful for that, that we, this made me able to speak English from a young, from early age on. So that's really nice. Um, of course I had favorite uh, cartoon uh, cartoons like Pokemon or Dragon Ball Z or something like that. <laughs> Power Rangers, maybe. Cool. All right. Well, I guess I have to move on. I really like you and I'm very interested in your perspective on things. But let's let's go to the second question. I will try my best to answer them. <laughs> That's very sweet of you. Thank you. Um what what so the question is what does being human mean to you? Um I have to admit that I heard this question before in your previous uh podcast so when i thought about this question i was like you know my favorite movie is blade runner and i think one of the reasons that i like that movie a lot is not just its genre or the way it's filmed or anything but actually it is also about what makes someone human right yeah so it's a very difficult question, actually, but 
I don't know. In in the movie Blade Runner, it comes up. It's all about having emotions and um, making the right decisions. You know, Blade Runner is a powerful movie. Yeah, absolutely, it is. Where maybe people that saw the movie that you know they know that the so-called replicants were not natural born humans. Uh, you know, they they might do questionable things, but they in the end they also do things that are very human or what we would describe as a human behavior. So that's a very deep and interesting philosophical question. It's difficult to answer it completely, I guess. Yes. That's such a good movie. It took me four uh, sittings to actually watch it. I, I sat down and I watched the opening five, 10, 15 minutes a few times that's actually how I know it's something that I will really grow to appreciate is if it takes me a long time to get into it, but I'm still interested. When I finally watched the whole thing, I thought it was quite good. But later, I came to really appreciate the atmosphere it created and the memories it creates. And since there are questions in the movie about memory um, that the sequel didn't really do very well, I think it's a it's a good art piece. Why did you stop it like three times in the intro? I honestly I fell asleep. Oh, um, <laughs> the first couple times. It reminds me of when I tried to read Lord of the Rings when I was l- very young, maybe eleven or twelve, and I read maybe up to the through the second book. Um, mm-hmm. And then by the time I reached the third book, I simply lost interest, which contrasted with me now, um, I I could actually read those books uh, repeatedly and really appreciate them. Yes, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that quote-unquote struggle because (laughs) I was introduced um, to this movie by one of my friends back in the day uh, and I was skeptical about going to the cinema with him, you know. He said, let's watch this movie. It's really good, blah, blah. But I was like, yeah, you always say that, you know. I don't uh, I don't trust you. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was also in the summer holidays, so it was really hot. But he insisted on going to the cinema to watch this uh, Blade Runner movie. In the end, I, I went there, and I, I never regretted, you know. It was a really nice movie. That's a great answer. Question three. What evokes wonder in you? Jesus. <laughs> well, let me ask. See, I keep going back and forth about the what I'm trying to get at, I think, is how this question originally was phrased was something like, have you experienced a, a supernatural thing or something that made you question reality? So I, this is meant to be some kind of mind-expanding question, but I don't think I've gotten the phrasing down quite right yet. Mm. I mean, I think I have, if, if it comes to the so-called supernatural, I'm a pretty, um, how do you say that, down-to-earth guy, I think. Okay, <laughs> so I don't go into those things too much. However, I think I experienced two things in my life that go beyond 
simple explanations. One of them is too personal and I'm not really, I don't want to share this one, but yeah. the other one is more um, crazy. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I think I discussed this with you once or twice, maybe, I don't know. I, and, and people that listen to this podcast, they have to know, just as I said in the beginning, I'm a very down-to-earth guy, okay? And I don't believe too much in weird things happening and crazy shit. But anyway, when I was about 18 years old, once in the summer holidays, I walked just outside of my house and I crossed the street. I'm not sure what I was going to do. I think I was just going to the to the night shop, which was across my house, just to get some snack or something. I don't know. So it was maybe 10, 30 or something. I'm not sure. It was late in the evening. It was already dark, okay? So when I, I crossed the street, there was nobody outside. It was because I live in a very quiet neighborhood, even though it's in Amsterdam, but it's a very quiet neighborhood. And suddenly I look up and I see a big red ball of light that's the only way i can describe it just floating in the air not even that high you know maybe maybe at the height of a 12-story building or something Mm, okay so i looked up and i was like hey what the hell is this and first thing in my mind is it's the helicopter of the hospital because after my house there is a hospital that has an emergency helicopter but it wasn't a helicopter. It was just, it was only a light bulb, not, nothing, no sound, nothing. So then I followed it. I was like, what? This is also not a laser because it was hanging in, in the middle of the air. It was not projected on a wall or something. So it moved in very weird directions. And suddenly it was completely gone. And I was like, what, what did I just see? You know, I couldn't make makes sense of it. I'm sure your skeptical mind is trying to say that, well, maybe this was an early Chinese lantern or some kind of <laughs> chain lightning, ball lightning kind of thing. There no, will no. be a rolling sort of ball of lightning uh, through. Uh, no, there was no storm, man. It was clear skies. And it was also not a Chinese, uh, how do you call those things? Uh, Chinese lantern. Yes, no, it wasn't like that at all. It was uh, pure light, pure red light. And it it moved in circles a little bit, I believe, and then from left to right quite fast, and then it just completely disappeared. You know, you're in Amsterdam, so you weren't high on any substance and seeing, <laughs> seeing Mars, seeing the planet <laughs> Mars. And a... No, seriously, no. I was absolutely not uh, under the influence of anything at all. And it wasn't wasn't that high i'm not saying like it was all the way up to the clouds no it was it was just uh, like at, at the height of my university building it's next to the university of amsterdam so it's it wasn't that high man it's just what i said maybe 10 stories high or something like that i believe you because i've seen some strange things as well that i can't explain and maybe the better question i should ask people is have you ever experience something that you can't explain well that was certainly one of them i have never experienced that again actually never saw anything weird anymore after that what do you what do you think about it now i don't know man i just don't know what it was it was so weird i can't make sense of it um 
many people just think then that it must be some sort of an uh, alien spaceship or something, but I don't know about that. It wasn't a human-made thing. No, absolutely not. Because it moved, like I said, it moved in a really weird ways, just from left to right to in circles, and yeah. <laughs> it was so strange. And then it just pop, it was gone all of a sudden, you know. Wow. Yeah. I'm not even sure how this transitions to the next question, but that's very interesting. And my next question is quite a jump, maybe. What is the best way we can honor life? You know, if your response to something that happened in life is just, I don't know, it was strange, that might not inspire you to want to honor it or... Uh, no, but that was just one single occasion of something weird that I experienced. So the, the next question is not a weird question at all. I'm, I guess I'm trying to crack open the, the the idea that, well, because we can't explain it... We, we must be thankful for the fact that we can even get anything good out of it for as long as we do before we all have to leave this place. So in that case, I, I, I'm trying to um, talk about how it's a blessing that we're alive and how can we show that? How can we express that as a species? Well, I think the best way to, to honor our life, if I'm, I'm not going to answer this question in in a general way, but specifically for the current era we live in, I think it's first of all, turn off your television and don't, don't listen to the authorities. <laughs> yeah, okay, and don't follow the COVID rules. <laughs> <laughs> that seems kind but of no, like a random answer. No, it's not a random answer. This is your, an answer to your question, but specifically on this current era, you know. Okay. Because if you follow all the things that limit your personal freedom, I mean, how is that honoring life, really, in my opinion? So you have a, Just, you place a high value on, on personal freedom. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely, I do. And it's sad to see that even now, after one and a half years or something, after this uh, circus, actually, there are still so many people in general, but also in my personal space and my surroundings that still don't have the slightest clue or idea that something here is wrong or that they're being played on, you know? And that's kind of sad, in my opinion. I see. And can you help people who think, I, I don't know who all is listening to the podcast, but there might be people saying, well, what do you mean? What exactly is wrong? I don't understand. Is there anything that you're comfortable going public with? I mean, what can I say? Like they, if it comes to this coronavirus pandemic, so-called pandemic, it's it's just a tool they use to re to try and reinstall society and society values and and our way of of life and and, and interacting with each other actually. Because they cannot go on television one day and say, guys, from now on, you're going to work from home and you cannot interact with each other anymore in big groups. They don't do it that way. They make up some sort of scary threat so that people follow these rules voluntarily. So if that's the case, then are you suggesting that they exploited this disease because the government is just eager to impose rules? whenever they can 
Yes, I'm afraid so, partially, yes. Now they want everything to be more digital, you know, everything more tra- track and trace. Than... I see. So it's kind of about metering and putting me- and like counters on every activity so that people can make money off of every activity. So- uh, not just making money off it, but also controlling everything more. Maybe the elites are a bit paranoid, you know, they want to have more influence and sight on everything that's going on in the public. That's what I what I think. It seems strange, though, that people would want to, like, what would, the, what would be the benefit of controlling our lives exactly if, if we're still just obedient consumers anyway, you know, buying our video game systems and... Um, you know, fueling everything that already happens. What what's the benef- What more benefit is there uh, exactly? They just think out of the total control philosophy. I think they're trying to shape a society in the entire world that's more or less the same in every country. And also what they do doesn't have to be logical for us, especially but it could be logical for them and their perspective. And it could be driven by what I just said, like paranoia, maybe. So it seems as, the, as though you're saying there were somewhat legitimate governments, but there was kind of a culture that swept through them where they felt they needed to impose themselves yeah. stronger. Yes, that's what I think. I mean, of course, I mean, governments are were already under control of higher powers whenever it was necessary, I think. But they just want that more centralized. Okay, okay, I see what you're saying. So like, kind of like a like a global federal government of some kind. Yes, for example, indeed, yes. Or maybe crypto valuta instead of cash money so that every transaction can be monitored as well, you know. Or when they come up with... Um, a basic income for for people, sorry, then that those people will be dependent more on the government, you know. Uh, so they they will not really speak out against government corruption. Even if nothing changes and our way of life is pretty much just consuming, going to the grocery store instead of growing our own food, um, using their transport systems instead of perhaps... Um, promoting inventing our own which are better or any other thing that could change in in a global society a globe of societies instead this sort of group that always benefits from the cream off the top like a mob benefits off of other people working they would remain in that position regardless of how our lives improved or not because yes. to, I think the goal, if that's true, would be mm-hmm. to keep our lives more or less the same as they are, except the the new technology. It's a new relationship to, to technologies. In a certain way, yes, but then also no, because I think another aspect of them doing this to us is something really simple, okay? And might sound silly, but I think it's also some sort of bullying us. Mm. So when I see statements made by them, like, 
one of those globalist guys like um, Klaus Schwab, for example, when they say things like we don't want people to have uh, private ownership, okay, or um, yeah, you will own nothing, but you will be happy. This is a slogan they use. Like it seems like they they would like to. I'm not saying they're gonna succeed, but they would like to have us own less things and also. That means that we would be even more dependent on the system because, for example, if I'm going to philosophize more now, mm. let's say you're not allowed to own something stupid like a drill, okay? Yeah. And you need to fix something in your house, so you need to to hire this tool. Uh, but then maybe you will be allowed only to hire this tool if your uh, social credit score is high enough, for example. So this is a nightmare scenario. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but this this could be a dangerous process that's where, that we're heading to, you know? Would that not only be a danger for people who are genuinely problems in society? Because everyone will be able to find their group that will vouch for them, just as it is today. Yeah, so maybe they try to do this, but it might not even work. It might fail, you know? Interesting. So the concept is just they will just try to keep introducing new ways of using technology to bully yeah. us, essentially. Well, I mean, that's the sense I'm, I'm getting of it. But if you want to share your thoughts about it, I'm open to hear them. No, I, I'm, I want to honor your, your thoughts because that everyone has such uh, interesting thoughts about this. I think many people who aren't talking about what you're talking about are... Um, just kind of blissfully oblivious to to such yeah. people. In some ways, those people just, their lives won't change that much. But for us, for people who want to see the potential of humans to constantly reshape everything in their lives creatively, there will be these limitations based on kind of the, the followers of these opinion leaders who are essentially technocratic bullies. Yeah, so you're saying it will impact the people that follow these politicians, for example, more than us? Is that what you're saying? I think that's what I'm saying. Um, but I'm not really sure because it's such a hard... It's, it's a huge topic. I don't think we've... This, the human race, I guess you could say, has never really tried to actively control the entire human race. <laughs> it's, no, it, 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 it's only now that that's that that seems to be kind of the the struggle, and maybe this is a giant lesson for us to just let go and trust one another and let let each other have personal freedom and realize that that's not really a bad thing. There's no no one's going to create uh, some horrible thing that that needs to be stopped but on the other hand we do have this incident of the COVID-19 thing and whether that's a accidental release of a bioweapon or some random mutation caused by human pollution or whether it's all just um Hoax. Kind of a coordinated hoax based on these colluding mobster politicians. No matter what, all of those scenarios have to do with how humans organize themselves. And yeah. and that's that's kind of like the biggest discussion that is happening 
that isn't happening. You know what I mean? It should be happening because that is what is going on, but we're not really having a civil discussion about it. Yeah, I know. That's a problem because like, it's hard to make a platform to open this discussion for for any ordinary human being. I mean, of course, we have forums or, or social media, uh, but I mean, on social media, people are usually just screaming towards each other and <laughs> they they don't like each other or everyone lives in his own personal bubble, even in Twitter, for example. It's kind of difficult to make a bridge towards another so-called bubble where people have a different opinion. And it's also much more difficult to form a civil discussion or a debate throughout Twitter or other social media because you only have, what is it, like 150 tokens or something? Oh, 150 right. characters? Yes. And text is always different than a face-to-face debate. We are not like the media, you know. They have this huge, <laughs> what can we call it? hypnosis broadcast to everyone's television. Yeah, so that's uh, why you say the best way to honor life is turn off the TV. You know, find leadership within yourself and trust your surroundings, trust your friends, listen to each other with an open mind if you can do that. That, that makes a big difference already, you know? So do you think that will solve this problem of humans going through this crisis of how we organize ourselves? because we don't need to organize ourselves on such a uh, uh, deliberately I, I, centralized level? Ideally, it would be great to organize, I mean, with like a group of people, okay? That's what you mean, right? Well, I mean, you know, we're talking about the difference between our local society, our nation that we belong to, if we even belong to a nation, or if we've been colonized by some fake corporate nation, and then there's the the empires and then there's the um there's all these intersectionalities as i mentioned last episode but it's not really clear what this so-called global government is if they've attempted to make one they've only succeeded in creating uh, a technocratic uh mob a gang which isn't truly a global government it's more just a basically a terrorist organization posing as a government mm-hmm will uh turning off our television and 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 not listening to the official narrative and bonding yes. with our friends and our community solve this problem it's a, it's a good start because that that would hopefully result into people first of all not uh doing these stupid rules anymore like wearing a face mask i mean if a huge group of people or even a minority doesn't follow up the rules anymore they're there is not much that the authorities can do about that. Plus, uh, it gives off a signal, a signal to the rest of society, plus the governments themselves. So that would be a good start. And I'm sure when people do that and uh, discuss these things within their own circles and becoming more aware and aware of all the lies, uh, that could spread more and more like domino bricks. So... Yeah, that that would be like a good start of uh, resisting, but also it might help a natural process of organizing ourselves more. I see. Well, that leads pretty well to the question five, which is what does community mean to you? Like once you've had this community, um, instead of the bullies invading it or, or causing issues in it, 
what do you have? I would hope that we had we will then have a more open-minded community that's open to to ideas that they have not been known with before, you know. So that that new ideas will not be discarded as crazy from moment one. And I think when a society or community is open-minded, uh, knowledge will gain. Because when you discover new theories or new ideas, there will there will be more much more knowledge. That always happens when you're being exposed to new ideas. It's simple as that. Well, yeah. what would you say to the concept that there is the sense of a sense of tradition that might be always uh, opposed to too many new ideas that that mess with that colonize the in the you know the um, the tradition or the or the way of life and that the so-called bully government is doing their best I'm laughing because I know that that's not it's not the case but so I'm sabotaging my own question here but basically <laughs> what what do you think is the balance between honoring tradition and introducing new ideas because you could argue that these these people who are broadcasting um, television hypnosis and such are still for many people who just don't use their imagination in that way um, are getting new ideas from the TV and and you could even argue that the TV has created a less racist environment or or argue that even if it's created a more racialized environment you know what I'm saying like the, like there's good and bad with this um, with this media stuff and and yeah. and does a community without TV really? Uh, is that is that? No, I, I wouldn't say that television on itself would be have to be forbidden in the future. But we have to realize that we are living in a society with a lot of passive minds. Okay, what what most people do in the West, at least, is like. They just mind their own personal lives and they go to do work and all that. That's fine. And then they come at home and they just want to get information from the television and they just trust the news 100%. Uh, because we have been imprinted with that we have a country with free press and that lies in the media, big lies and deception only happens in China or any other country outside of the West. So people trust these people, these news guys completely. And that's a very dangerous thing. And they don't like to think about what they've heard in a critical way. That doesn't even pop up in their minds at all. They just accept it and think, okay, if that's what they say, then that's how it went, or that's what's going on. Mel, let me just uh, introduce another problem, <laughs> because I, I respect what you're saying very much, um, yeah, yeah. But, but I just want to fully think this through. Let's say you take away television, mm -hmm. and it's a benefit, and people think for themselves, and they're not goaded into a war, for example, an unneeded mm -hmm. war that a bunch of profiteers benefit from at the expense of, of innocent life. How does yeah. how do we stop that? Do you think a, a community that is 
open to new ideas, that is interconnected, will be able to resist uh, being goaded into war? Or do you think that perhaps they will? there will always be some population that this bully group can send against small communities in order to uh, disrupt them and force them into war? And the problem really isn't solved by... Well, I mean, of course, if there are... If there is a group of people within society that is, for example, financially poor or, uh, you know, especially that if they are poor or not getting the equal chances in society, then either this group will be maybe bullied against from within society or they are being um, vulnerable to be manipulated by some group like the example you just gave if we remove the television which which gives us misinformation yes does the lack of does the lack of misinformation actually make us more or less ignorant or the same yeah they have to be much more done than just removing television if that's what you're saying yeah i guess you're right i'm sorry that i keep going back to that no, no, it's okay. You have to do much more than that. Yes, of course. You have to re-educate people and make them, like, try to make their minds more active instead of the passive mindset most people have. Mm. Make them question things they're not comfortable questioning. If they get teached as a habit of doing that more, then it will eventually become more natural. Also, of course, I mean, you don't have to remove the television, but I mean the current... Uh, media that is owned by mobsters, of course. Mm. You can make a new media, maybe, but the format would be much more different. I see. Because you have to, you have to be able to have some sort of dialogue somehow with the channel you're getting your information from. Now it's just one way direction all the time. Yeah, I agree. Well, so do you think that we can actually produce programming that doesn't cause people to become lazy or is the medium itself uh, possibly what puts us to sleep no matter what content is on there because i've seen good content in documentary i've seen good mm-hmm. content in independent researchers um, yes. but for some reason for a lot of people i feel that no matter what is being shown it's just mm-hmm. a flickering glowing light that hypnotizes it it doesn't even matter the content you could you could show them the most intelligent mind blowing thing ever, and they will still just fall asleep, just like me and Blade Runner, I'm trying to watch Blade Runner, and I just fall asleep because it's just it might just be that television interacts with our synapses in some way that causes us to go into that alpha state, and then and see, look, yeah. you're, you're yawning because I'm, <laughs> I'm boring you because I'm on a screen and I'm no 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 no, it's because I turned off my AC and it's getting hot. <laughs> Oh, sorry. And it's later, so no, no, no. What you, I get what you're saying, but that's a completely, that's a different question. I mean, that's something that uh, some researchers have to uh, get knowledge about. I guess how the television screen impacts your brain or something. I, I'm sure those studies have been done already. I might be ignorant in this, but I don't know yeah. either. But it's it's worth thinking about this idea that well, it, can we really improve? stories can we really improve them if they are being distributed through a medium that is itself problematic 
And that's why I'm intrigued by your idea of just getting rid of television in general. But in that case, I would also suggest it might be a good idea to take a break from all sorts of screens, our phones, our interactive screens, even our social media, which is which is this, what we're doing right now, um, mm -hmm. podcasts and stuff. Maybe just taking a break from all technology that is using signals and tune into our, our inherent natural technology like psychic powers and telepathy and our, <laughs> our, our natural gifts that we have become disconnected from because of this heavy, low energy technology stuff. Could it be that we're trying so hard to, um, to change the color of the shit, but it's still shit? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Look, the television itself, we have to be specific here, but do we really mean like the screen itself or the content? Well, uh, wasn't it Marshall McLuhan who said the medium is the message? Meaning that if you're reading a book, the message is the content, the paper. You want to feel it. You want to smell it. You mm -hmm. want to look at words. You want to experience writing. If the medium is television, you want a glowing, flickering light that dazzles and entertains and hypnotizes. It doesn't matter the content because the message is already the, the thing that you're doing. Well, I mean, it goes both ways, I think, because at one hand, personally, I'm very glad that, I mean, that I've been brought up in an era where uh, the internet was in was uprising okay so i learned how to deal with the internet because without my computer screen here and without the internet i would probably never have uh discovered that we are being lied to by for example the media and many things so it's a blessing and it's a curse at the same time because of course the bad side is what i just mentioned about you know the hypnosis of the media and so I, I wouldn't say that television itself or watching watching a screen is necessarily bad because you can obtain useful information from it. Mm. But then again, yes, on the other hand, you have a point because you're just watching in a passive mind state and trying to absorb the information that's been brought to you through the screen, which is not the same as reading a, a book, for example, yes. Or even going so, out into nature and trying to communicate with trees with your mind. Even next level, okay. <laughs> so yes, that, that that's a completely different story again. It really matters also what you what you do with it. But nowadays I'm really annoyed sometimes, even for myself, how many time I spent on my phone, you know, just communicating with other people. It's great, but it's also bad at the same time. If that makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. And I I don't see a way out, but I also see there is the way out. We're already on it. We're retaining our humanity and all the things that make us human, even if we become replicants or the skin jobs. Um, <laughs> yeah. we, we are still... So what, what, if I may counter a question here, what do you think about this uh, so-called cyber polygon or something? The World Economic Forum Project some sort of simulation of a cyber attack on eco and supply change, whatever that means. I don't know. I do think that if we knew everything about how computing works, we would be shocked. 
we would find that there's no such thing as a secure network that the people who invented viruses also invent the antivirus software and mm. that it's kind of just humans dabbling with a technological power that we still are not fully understanding we are fascinated by we're hitting each other with we're throwing at each other we are using it for good and we are using it for bad because we're vaguely intelligent animals trying to figure this thing out but i think that uh if someone wants to uh hack something they will and that's still the human experience of trying to understand what what is this network of complicated devices uh the thing on my mind recently is uh yeah there's child slave labor involved in getting the metals used to create microchips i haven't seen any article contradicting the 10 or 20 year old article suggesting they pollute 11,000 gallons of water for every microchip made. I haven't seen anything contradicting the old story about how much energy is used in sending a couple megabytes across, like what we're doing right now, streaming, where it goes not directly to each other, but um, through some hubs and servers and then across the ocean and then back again on these transatlantic cables. So... Mm. From my perspective, we've lost touch with what this project of of uh, connecting each other with uh, screens is. We don't yeah. understand the, the, the true cost um, to the ecological chain, and you know we're we're so focused on perhaps changing the message that we've forgotten that the medium itself is extremely problematic at the moment. And it, the end game of it is a pile of toxic waste that's dumped on arguably poor communities, but in any case, economically trapped communities that can't stop the leaking of the chemicals right into their water and their food and their soil. So, and that, that just gets worse and worse the more we are obsessed with getting the next phone or getting the next latest computer or whatever. Okay, well, uh, so, interesting. Uh, well, I wasn't familiar with all that, to be honest. I, I didn't know it got so much, uh, did you say polluted water to create a microchip or something? Yes. From my understanding, that whole process is kind of unexplored, uninvestigated, and it remains threatening to the powers that be to actually look into it because they don't want us to go through the emotional realization that we will have to go through at some point that what we are doing is extremely problematic for the for our survival and for the environment and for the earth uh, yeah i agree with you on on the if it comes to producing a smartphones for example or, or other hardware in mass production yes although i'm not sure if online data or sending a picture or something is really damaging the eco environment i'm not so uh, sure about that one either i like i enjoy thinking about these ignored questions because i uh, i see well but i mean if if i don't know what they are implying with 
a cyber attack on the ecosystem or supply chain, I guess. If they would destroy the internet, I don't know if they want to do that, but that would actually, it could have a benefit for us indeed. It could be beneficial, you know, because then people would even seek out more to their natural habitat, so to call it, or their own personal circles and pay more attention to their to their environment, I guess, instead of staring to your screen all the time. So if they do that, I don't know. But if they do that, it could work counterproductive for the for the powers that be, you know? Yes. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's move on. Question six. Uh, <laughs> what projects Sorry. or collaborations are you presently most excited about? Are you getting a degree? Yeah, well, I, I, I stopped my master's degree earlier this year. I quit because I didn't like it. So... Maybe I will do another one this September, upcoming September. And about collaborations, I mean, I met quite some new people in the Netherlands here that, you know, are have an open mind or are, are quote-unquote woke. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean a different kind of woke than what people think nowadays, okay? <laughs> but I mean, they are aware, of course, of all the lies being portrayed on us, so... I was really happy with that. I was happy with finding new people that have woken up the lies in this uh, world, you know. Some of them are also like in university or are actually already uh, finished studying. They have a master's degree or PhD. So that's also quite hopeful because um, in university, unfortunately, Actually, an entire education, we are, we are not teached to learn critical in, in the way you and I think critical. So it's only to a certain extent in, inside of a certain box, I would say. Uh, so that's why I was happy that I could find a few people with a degree in science that still see through the lies, you know? Yeah. Well, that's very exciting. That's great. You found your people, maybe, your your group. I hope this group will extend more and more. I hope I can visit your group sometime and yeah. hang out with you. Would be amazing. Last question of the seven questions to save humanity. How can we all realize more human happiness together? I don't know, man. That's a very difficult one. Because <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out myself, actually, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's, I'm trying to figure that out, actually, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, the last question is from our previous guest. What will be the dominant form of government in 2030? <laughs> if it's up to Klaus Schwab and his friends, it will be a global technocracy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> But assuming it won't be because, you know, people are waking up and... Yeah, I mean, worst case scenario, it will be something like 1984. And best case scenario, um, I don't know. I think the best answer would be we will see something that doesn't exist yet, you know, that hasn't been there in the past. Something completely new. What question would you ask the next guest? Is it going to be a person that is like aware of lies and shit in the world or what we don't know could be anybody okay ask them if they 
if they've, <laughs> I don't know. Ask them if they've seen September Clues or something. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'm going to ask them that. Good. Have you seen September Clues? Done. All right. Last segment is all about music. Man, I mean, I like so many different types of music. I know. It's a difficult one, but I have to pick like one song? Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I could pick a hundred, okay? But I will pick one that, um, that's easy maybe to pick because my... <laughs> All my housemates know that I always call this my favorite song. So they are, they always put it on when we had a party. In 2012, I was once in a club in Amsterdam. I heard a song and I liked it, but my, my friend liked it too. And he said, uh, use Shazam. It's an application on your phone to recognize a song, okay? So I did it because he told me to do that. So I had the song, and the next day, somehow I wanted to listen to it again. The more I listened to it, the more I liked it, because it's a really funky tune to dance on. It's called Inspector Norse from Todd Terrier. Okay. Are you going to use this in your podcast? Yeah, so let's talk about it. It's got these funky yeah. noises. It has, it's a t- techno, I guess. Would you call it techno? No, it's like, that's the thing. It's such a weird thing, song. So I don't know in what genre it really fits in, to be honest with you. Like funky house, maybe funky techno. I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. It sounds kind of like a cartoon. <laughs> yes, I know. I love cartoons, though. I'm a cartoonist, and cartoons fascinate me. Oh, it, it's it, it's it's quite nice the way it. Yeah. It starts out like it's going to be uh, almost dark, but then it just becomes kind of like a sitting by the pool kind of song. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I always imagine like if I listen to a song that the buildings are dancing. Yes, wow. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let me listen to a little more. It's so cheerful. It reminds me of... Yeah, because techno can sometimes be very... Um, gosh, repetitive or even oppressive, and this is not that. It it yeah. sounds like uh, happy. Very happy, yes. And it reminds me of 
many things that came out of the 70s that I see on the YouTube channel Terminal Passage, where it's acid jazz and kraut rock and experimental progressive jazz and rock where it kind of could be a mix of beats and tunes but it is wild it could go anywhere at any moment but it's the synthesizer version of that yeah it's a really weird song but i like it it's happy vibes you know what attracts you to this kind of music i don't know like i said i like many i like very a very big range of different music you know I can also enjoy more sad music or things like Enya, for example, or movie movie music composed by by Vangelis or even uh, reggae music or this this almost does have a Vangelis feel if Blade Runner was really happy. <laughs> yes, then then it would be the case, I guess. <laughs> All the uh the Blade Runners and the the replicants just do like a big dance number, like K-pop style. <laughs> K-pop. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I like this song back in the when I discovered it. I listened to it all the time. Now I haven't listened to it for a very long time. But when there's a party organized by us here, now now we are not able to. But then after a while this song always comes along everyone likes it man since i introduced it to them (laughs) it's great thank you for introducing us t-o-d-d-t-e-r-j-e thank you you're welcome (laughs) is there anything else you'd like to say about your music tastes and what interests you no it depends on the what I'm doing, if I work out, I listen to different music than when I walk to the to the grocery store. I like a re- very, very wide range of genres. Okay, so electronic music, but also reggae or or orchestra or even classical music. I like classical music too. Depends on many things when what I decide to listen to. Maybe even the weather influences this. <laughs> totally. If there's one thing that came out of all the complications in detriments in society from technology that I I have maybe a guilty pleasure about, it's that I can carry tens of gigabytes of music around with me everywhere and listen to amazing songs. Music is so inspiring to me. You, oh, yeah. And your, your introducing me to songs always inspires me because you find such interesting, sometimes funky little things and you're like, check this out. And it's like, whoa, vaporwave <laughs> blowing my mind or... Um... <laughs> Thanks, man. I also like what you notice I, uh, already, the artist, um, Tame Impala. I like his music. Tame Impala, yes. For me, it falls into the category of stuff I don't collect, but which I really enjoy. And lately, I've even been enjoying streaming things like Soma FM or YouTube playlists because it is stuff that I haven't heard before in particular genres. But I will go back to my favorite bands, but then mm-hmm. I will, but then I will, I will just want to hear new. I just want to hear something new. 
if I lived in a community that had no access to a technological means of playing music, I would need people to know instruments and I would need to learn an instrument because yeah. music is life for me. It's so inspiring. Really? Yes, I need music in my life. I might not need it as much as I think I do, but I find that it changes everything. I could listen to a song and my mood shifts completely and I feel suddenly inspired to be a part of this bizarre planet again. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it, really. <laughs> this bizarre planet again. <laughs> well, thank you so much for the interview and your time yeah no problem man you're welcome thanks for interviewing me man